It's before Paul early, and this is the pre-W Smith Show on 760 WJR. Here is Jeff Sloan. Good morning. Welcome back to the pre-W Smith Show. No, your radio isn't glitching out. Jeff is allowing me to take over this segment. As you know, I'm Kristen, and I had an opportunity to speak with Kaylin Belsha. She is a national education reporter for Chalkbeat. She did some really great research on student accessibility to teletherapy as the nation continues to fight this mental health crisis with our children. Sure. So I would say, you know, before the pandemic, we had heard that schools were starting to use telehealth a little bit in some of their school clinics and for some of the kind of primary care and urgent care. A lot of rural school districts were turning to this. But since the pandemic, we noticed this trend that a lot of school districts in some states were turning to teletherapy for mental health support. And this has primarily been because a lot of school districts have had a hard time recruiting and hiring enough staff to be able to meet that mental health demand. They've seen higher demand and staff are just harder to come by. It's also expensive to hire a lot of full-time staff. So teletherapy is helping to kind of fill in the gap And school districts have told me that, you know, it's not for every student, but that for the students who do need some support, a lot of times they offer maybe six to 10 sessions, that this is a really good way to get that support to kids who otherwise would be waiting a much longer time to get that in the community or through their school. Sure. I mean, like any new program, part of it is making sure that parents and students know what it is and how to access it. I heard from schools, especially um, for families who are undocumented or who do not have insurance, they may not think that this is something that they could access. So there is some education and outreach that needs to happen so that families know what it is. Secondly, some students do not have a stable internet connection at home, so they might want to access it at school. A lot of programs are accessible both at home or school, so you need to have a place at school set up that would be private and that is supervised. So that's like another thing that some schools have found that, that, you know, they need to staff this program. It's not necessarily that like the nurse has to do it, but there needs to be someone who understands the platform. And if the child, for example, had trouble logging on or their headphones died, like they'd be able to step in and help with that. I think the third thing is also just whether or not this is a good fit for that particular child. You know, some kids we saw during remote learning didn't necessarily do great accessing services through a screen. So there might be particularly for younger children, some students with disabilities, this may not be the best fit and in-person counseling might be better for them. So you kind of have to just make sure that this would be a good fit for that child too.
I would say it's definitely still in the early stages, but I have seen over the last school year, especially a real big ramping up in large school districts. We've seen many of the nation's largest school districts have hired a company or who are working with their own staff to try to provide teletherapy. So I surveyed the 20 largest school districts all across the country, and 13 of them were currently offering teletherapy, and two more were planning to by the fall. So that's the majority of the nation's largest school districts are doing this right now. Um, so I think that's something really interesting, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. The uh, majority of the school districts that I spoke with, a lot of the big ones, were still using the temporary COVID federal relief funds. In some cases, they were also using some state money that was set aside, particularly for mental health. And sometimes there was philanthropy that had stepped in to help. So there is a really big question, you know, when that money runs out, is this something that school districts can continue to do? And a lot of them told me it would kind of just depend on the demand. And if students are wanting this service and there seems to be kind of more students who need help than they have staff for, then this could make sense because it is less expensive than hiring lots of full-time staff and it can get support to kids faster than sometimes in the community. So it might just kind of be like a weighing and figuring out if it's worth it to continue it, but for sure that is something a lot of schools are wondering right now. I would say that it's kind of like with any support when you're accessing medical services over the internet, you need to make sure that the provider has a way to protect student information. And so a lot of these contracts do have protections baked in as you would with any kind of healthcare provider. You wanna make sure that the medical information for the child is protected. In most cases, if the child is younger, you would need parent permission to do this. So there is kind of a backstop to make sure the parent is informed and understands that their child is accessing this help. In some states, kids who are 16 and older can access mental health services on their own, but obviously those are older teens. So those are some of the main things that I think I've heard around kind of protections and making sure that families are just aware and engaged with the service. Yeah, I'd say some of the other big trends we've seen um, are more schools setting aside a space that's particularly for student well-being and mental health. You've probably seen a lot of the calming centers. Those were funded by COVID relief dollars. And in some cases, those can also be the places that you offer teletherapy. We've also seen school districts using therapy animals and hiring more staff. That has been something that some school districts have done. I'd say in particular, when we surveyed a bunch of school districts, we found that social workers were an area that had staffed way up. So those are some of the big things that we've seen funded by the COVID relief money. You know, when I talked with the students about what the experience was like interacting with a the therapist, you know, I went in thinking that after remote learning, you know, there might be some skepticism there. And I was surprised to hear that, you know, families and students said that there were ways that you could kind of make it feel a little bit more like you were in person. One student, for example, told me that her therapist would open the blinds where she was so that it would feel more light and she wasn't like talking to a dark screen. 
And another parent told me that it was possible for her five-year-old to be engaged by the therapist because she had training and kind of keeping the attention of a young child. And she seemed particularly well-suited for working with a child through a screen. So I was kind of interested to hear that there were ways that you could do this so it felt more like you were in person. Thank you, Kaylin. That was Kaylin Belsha. She's a national education reporter for Chalkbeat. More with Jeff Sloan when we come back here on the Pre-W Smith Show. 